Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Dischem Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. As always, it's very good to have you with us. And this week, we are very privileged to have with us Liz Lauren Jankalovitz, who is the CEO of the South African HIV Clinician Society. It's quite a mouthful. What, what's your acronym, Lauren? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, the acronym is SAX, um, but because it sounds so much like sex, we usually start with the full name. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, maybe not such a bad thing for the HIV Clinicians uh, Society. Okay, so do you want to just tell us a bit about yourself, um, who you are and what you do, and what the society does and what um, their mes- um, motto or mission statement is? Sure. So the um, Southern African HIV Clinician Society is uh, 22 years old. This year, so we've been around kind of since the beginning or almost the beginning of HIV in this country. Um, we started off as a doctor organization focusing in the private sector. Um, there was no support or advice from the state at that time in relation to HIV. And so we, the, the, the organization started in order to develop clinical guidance um, we run a journal that's been running since then and uh, put together education materials for healthcare workers that are treating HIV. Um, over the years, we've become more of a general healthcare work organization. We don't focus only on doctors and we no longer focus only on the private sector, but really across both sectors. Doctors, nurses, pharmacists, psychologists, lay healthcare workers, and program people, the decision makers, scientists as well. Um, I've been with the organization for nine years. I'm a social worker by training. My expertise is and experience is in the running of non-profit organizations or social enterprises. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for making the time to um, join us today. I think a lot of people have forgotten um, about chronic diseases um, now because of the corona pandemic. How has this uh, had an effect on the HIV clinicians and uh, people who are HIV positive? How's the last uh, eight months been? So the last eight months, as far as uh, people living with HIV and their Healthcare goes hasn't been as bad as we thought it would be. Um, but what has been very difficult for people on any chronic medication, not only those living with HIV, has been access to, to medicines and to healthcare providers because there hasn't really been um, newer technology in terms of healthcare usage for quite recently nearer to the end of kind of the COVID epidemic for us. Um, For clinicians, on the other hand, 
they've been really stretched as being the only people, especially those with HIV knowledge, the only people with infectious diseases, generalist knowledge that have been consulting to the government and providing advice. So they've been very stretched. The biggest concern for us is that all the gains made over the last 10 years in particular in relation to HIV and um, ED will be lost now because many people have been unable to get their medication or have not been able to take medication during this period. People have been very worried about going into healthcare facilities, but the stock levels are such that people need to go in every month. Um, it's been difficult for them to get longer um, multi-month supplies. Yeah, I imagine with all the hospitals closed, uh, pharmacies closed, how were people getting their uh, chronic medications with alternative plans made? So for, for many in the private sector, alternative plans were made using telemedicine to consult with doctors. Um, the National Department of Health did release some guidance, some policy changes that allowed pharmacists to um, provide multiple months if possible. In the in the public sector, it was more difficult to get multiple months dispensed because of stock uh, shortages, especially for more complex tests like second line treatments for those on um, antiretroviral therapy. Many pharmacists and hospitals and laboratories were open during this time, but they, you know, a, a lot of the time they, they were overloaded. Uh, and so occasionally people were told not to come to collect their medicine or to send someone younger, healthier to, to fetch their medicine. Not everyone was able to, to do that. So some people have, have fallen out of the system and, and want to do is welcome them back into the system and make it as convenient as possible for them to access uh, care. Okay. Yeah, I guess um, now we've got to have new strategies and new programs to try and get old patients uh, back into the system and attract those new patients who might have had appointments to test and to start um, and that were possibly lost from the system. We're going to take a short ad break now. And afterwards, I'd like to talk about some of your newer programs. We'll be back after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dean Gerson, and we are joined by the CEO of the South African HIV Clinician Society, Lauren Jackalowitz. And we are talking about HIV awareness and uh, new strategies and programs. So what have you guys uh, as a society uh, planned for the rest part of this year, early next year? What programs do you have to try and compensate for um, what is done and or even what has happened? And even independent of Corona, what new programs have you got lined up? So there's a really exciting program that I'd like to talk about, Dean, that we've been working on all year and that is currently being piloted in over 70 private sector pharmacies around the country and will be rolling out, uh, we hope, early next year to all participating pharmacies, which is most pharmacies. 
And what we've done is we have spent the year training pharmacists and nurses in pharmacies in how to initiate treatment so that people can get back onto the program in a, in a way that's most convenient for them, whether they are private sector uh, patients or public sector patients. They'll be able to get uh, HIV testing inside pharmacies as well as be initiated on first-line treatment or referred into a GP network through telemedicine at this point um, in order to go on to be a more complex regimen. At the same time, we will be offering post-exposure prophylaxis, which is the antiretroviral medicine that after uh, typically an assault or a needle stick injury or a one-night stand that is unplanned for. Um, and it's taken for 28 days. The event needs to be taken as soon as possible in order to prevent contracting HIV, which is why we're rolling it out through pharmacies. Also, however, are rolling out a newer medicine called PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis. So this is medicine you would be taking before an event, um, and as long as you think that there might be unsafe uh, sexual activity or unsafe exposure, you would take PrEP. One tablet a day, easy to take, and now really easy to get, and cheaper and cheaper to afford. What tablet, what tablet is that? Um, so it's called PrEP. Pre-exposure so prophylaxis and yeah, it contains... Yeah, I'm saying what's the actual... What actual drug are you using for it? Um, it contains uh, tenofovir and yeah. uh, what's called XTC, so which is either lamivudine or emtricitabine. So it's two of the three drugs that are taken when someone is actually positive. Okay, and how many? How long do they have to take it for for the pre? How long before exposure and how long after exposure? So. They should take it for three weeks prior to exposure. It's slightly different for men and for women. Men can take it for a week and women for 20 days prior to exposure. But the recommendation is that everyone take it for three weeks prior. Um, as much as possible, continue to practice other safer sex behavior, like condom usage, for example. But what PrEP does then is it enables you to have unprotected sex and not contract HIV if you are using a copy. What, what may have been in the news last week, um, near the end of last week, was the result from a new trial with the injectable PrEP. And this is the new drug, one drug that gets injected and lasts for two months and then gets re-ingested. So it's still at the clinical trial stage, but we anticipate that by the end of next year that this long-acting injectable will also be available in five. Okay, and um, how's the response from the public been to this? I'm sure that is there a lot of opposition. I imagine people would say, aren't you promoting unsafe sex or unsafe behavior with this? And uh, or I guess the other side arguing is that people are going to behave like that in any case. We might as well um, stop the, uh, make them safer. 
Exactly, exactly. So that's the behavior. We don't take a moral perspective at all. We just take a scientific evidence-based uh, perspective. And uh, evidence shows us that people continue to engage in unsafe sex, that often the people that are the most unsafe are those that think they're in monogamous, long-term relationships like marriages and are often actually quite unsafe. Young girls are very at risk in our context, girls between the ages of 15 and 24 that are driving the epidemic. And so rather than trying to teach young girls to wait, um, we are wanting young girls to be safe regardless of what decisions they make or what happens within them. Okay. And uh, does this medication need prescription? You can just pick it up at a pharmacy. So it does need prescription. So part of the reason that it has taken so long um, to do all the preparation work for this program is that we actually have needed to get the uh, bylaws changed, the policies changed in this country to allow pharmacists to be able to actually script the PEP and PrEP. And what this does then is it means that you don't have to go to the GP and then to the pharmacy, that you can have contact with a GP within a pharmacy as well as um, be, be consulted by a nurse and a pharmacist, all of whom are trained in the prescribing of antiretroviral treatment in whatever form it might be pre, during, post. Okay, and will this be offered in state at all? Um, so PrEP has started to roll out in the state, but unfortunately uh, it rolled out from 2016, but only in certain demonstration projects. So it hasn't been wi widely accessible until recently and only for certain key groups. Um, which has stigmatized the product a little bit. Um, and so what we're trying to do is start first in the private sector, but for all, the public sector and the private. And uh, the public sector will follow suit. Um, at this point, though, you can, you can access PrEP in the public sector from about 70% of primary health care facilities. Um, and the idea will be that, that people can, as they do already, segue in between the public and the private sectors as necessary to, to access care. You know, you might be working and on a medical aid and access care to a GP at this stage, and then you might lose your job, lose your medical aid, and need to move into the public sector. The idea will be that you will be able to access uh, PrEP wherever you are. Um, going forward. It makes it much easier for GPs who who see to the whole family, and so it's hard for them to put a, a teenage daughter, for example, on PrEP confidentially without the parents being involved when you're a family practitioner. Whereas within the pharmacy, a young girl can come um, by herself, engage with healthcare professionals, and make sure that she's getting the right information and the right, ultimately the right. Okay, awesome. We're going to take a, another short ad break. We'll be back after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, T. 
Dean Gerson and we are speaking to Lauren Jackalowitz, CEO of the SA HIV Clinicians uh, Society. And how different, now uh, going back to maybe some of the basics of HIV for our listeners, and I think um, taking away some of the misconceptions or preconceptions that HIV is a disease of the, of the poor, or maybe of the masses, or that it won't happen to me, and, or in our community, what are uh, some of your strategies that you've been putting through to encourage people to test in maybe more affluent society or the society that um, wouldn't think that they um, have HIV or would be at risk for HIV? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the bottom line is that everyone is at risk um, as long as you are sexually active, even if you are in... Um, a long-term monogamous relationship uh, like a marriage, that you can still be at risk because you really only know for 100%, uh, with 100% certainty what it is that you do or um, what kind of, uh, how safe you are. But you really don't know about what your partner is is doing. So what we what we encourage is we encourage, I mean, firstly, we encourage people to talk to one another so that it isn't uh, one partner versus another partner kind of scenario. Uh, but bearing in mind uh, domestic violence, which again occurs in every community, um, we don't want women in particular to be unsafe, which is why PrEP is a great option. And the more invisible it becomes and the easier it becomes to take. So, for example, by having an injection every two months, the easier it is for women in difficult relationships. What we do is we encourage healthcare workers to talk about sex and to talk about how to have good sex. And part of how to have good sex is having good and safe sex. And so we encourage healthcare workers to introduce the conversation to their to their clients, whoever they may be, um, and to encourage testing. We also encourage testing in workplaces and not anonymous testing, but testing through wellness programs where people can be referred into care if need be. Also, we're very supportive of the uh, the kinds of incentive programs that a number of medical aids run where you are encouraged to have an annual HIV test. Um, sometimes we worry about, you know, uh, how it's done and that isn't the counselling and the support, but I think like you, you said earlier, people are tired of HIV, um, they think that they they understand how HIV works, and so people often say that they don't want to counseling. But the counseling is useful because it helps you understand where you may or may not be at risk, and would talk about things like risk so that there are other options for you instead of just waiting to maybe contract HIV and go on to medication. We think that PrEP could ultimately change the course of the disease and uh, eliminate HIV. It's one of the only ways in the absence of the vaccines that we would be able to do it, which is why we, we encourage PrEP for all. If you're sexually active, there may be a time in your life when you need to go on to PrEP. So if you, if you take it properly, which means taking it every day at more or less the same time, Every day, um, it's more than 95% um, effective, which is safer than condoms, 
it's safer than the oral contraceptive pill as far as pregnancy goes, just as an example, right? So it's very, very safe if you take it correctly. Um, you have to know for sure that you're HIV negative when you start because you don't want to make it part of the treatment um, when you're HIV positive because it can cause resistance and um, complications where you then need to go onto other methods. But at this point, in relation to HIV only, so not other sexually transmitted infections and not pregnancy, but for HIV, it is as safe as you can get while continuing to have um, I, I guess that's awesome because it, it uh, gives the woman or, or the man, I guess, power in the relationship that they don't have to be dependent on um, uh, on, their, on their partner for this. And uh, they, I guess, technically could be on this for their entire life. So you could be on it um, forever. And ultimately, we suspect it will... It will really be one um, one kind of treatment, whether it's pre or or treatment for HIV or post exposure, that it will ultimately be one. Um, but at this stage, there's still a lot of stigma and a lot of um, a lot of clinical trials and testing that needs to be done, which is why you are actually getting three different um, drugs when you go for post exposure or pre exposure or treatments. Um, but ultimately, it will become easier and easier. And the intention to use pharmacies is so that it's relatively anonymous. You're in the pharmacy anyway um, until the end of December. At a lot of the independent pharmacies around the country, you can pick up an HIV self-screening test where you can test yourself and then um, afterwards come back into a pharmacy to enroll to enroll for care, um, and that would possibly be one thing to, to say, is that with self-screening, use the test recommended by the pharmacist or by the GP or nurse rather than taking the cheapest test from the from the shelves because not, not all the tests are equal, um, and you do want to make sure that you are testing properly. But what the, what the testing, the self-testing does is it puts the power back into the hands of the patient so that um, you are in control of your own test in, in a similar way uh, to the way the pregnancy test works. Okay, great. So we spoke earlier that this was the best alternative now until uh, we get a vaccine. Tell me about are there vaccine and HIV. Are there any clinical trials going on in South Africa with an HIV vaccine that you're involved in? So, so we're not involved per se, but our members, um, scientists and clinicians are involved and they are ongoing, but we're quite far away from an HIV vaccine. Unfortunately, it's been, um, very, very hard to get to something that works. And so a lot of the scientists have moved not completely away from the vaccine research, but slightly away to microbicides and uh, to PrEP, the, the long-acting injection, etc. There's some companies that are piloting the PrEP together with contraception, so it's, a, it's one uh, implant or one injection. So there's quite a lot of exciting research happening currently. Um, still, in HIV, um, you'd think that HIV was kind of sorted. It's a chronic 
disease, you take your medicine, um, and largely you're fine. But really, we do want to prevent people from contracting it um, in the first place as well. And so the vaccine trials continue, but they're, they're not so successful. Similar to, to COVID, um, with the virus, the virus is a change in, um, it's a changing illness. So it continually adjusts as it transmits, which means, which makes it very difficult to develop a vaccine that will provide coverage for all people with HIV for all people that are negative to, to not contract the different types of HIV. Okay. Now, there's three different types of uh, antiretrovirals uh, on the market. Do you, uh, and I'm sure uh, there are South African guidelines. How do we ensure that patients in government are getting the same treatment as patients in private that they are getting the best uh, antiretrovirals or the best regimen, or are there different guidelines? So, I mean, there are different guidelines, but only because in the private sector you can sometimes go for more expensive medicines or you don't necessarily have to take programmatic decisions into account. So, for example, in the private sector, there's a very good, actually very cheap drug that is used in uh, first, second, and third line occasionally, and um, this drug is um, doesn't doesn't work with TB treatment. It stops it's it stops um, it's it's not as effective when you take a TB treatment at the same time. So the government doesn't use it at all. It's not in their guidelines because uh, we have quite high TB prevalence, um, particularly in relation to our HIV prevalence. And so um, it's not available in the public sector, but it's available in the private sector. But really, if, if, if you have HIV, the public sector is often the place to be because the public sector has the expertise, really has the world's top um, drugs for uncomplicated um, HIV, the exact same drugs that you will be prescribed in the private sector. Um, the difficulty with the public sector is more on a laboratory level um, and an interpretation of results in that uh, you would be managed by a nurse, you likely wouldn't see a doctor, um, and you would hope that your nurse had sufficient training to be able to interpret the blood results. Okay, we're going to take another short air break. We'll be back after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam. Pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dean Gerson. Thank you for joining us. The High Firm Helpline has helped many, many people, and is now now the High Firm Helpline is appealing to you. Due to the sheer volume of calls to the helpline, the helpline is need of additional qualified counsellors. If you are a qualified social worker or psychologist, and you would like to volunteer at the helpline, please email helpline at highfm.com. If, however, you're in need of mental and emotional support, please do call the IFM helpline at 0800-242436. That's 0800-242436. Thank you for joining us again. We are speaking to Lauren Jankalovitz, who is the CEO of the SA HIV Clinicians Society. And we are busy talking about HIV, different medications, 
different strategies, different uh, testing, and we're just talking about the difference between private and government and that you would probably be better off in government because um, of the expertise that we see there. Now, uh, do medical medical aides, I assume, pay for all the HIV treatment in private uh, as a PMV, a prescribed minimum benefit? Yes. Who's funding all of this in government? We see often um, NGOs involved in right to care and USAID. Uh, is any of it funded by our government, actually, or is it mainly run by NGOs? All of the medicine is funded by our government. So we don't take any donations for the full antiretroviral treatment program. Now, in the public sector, there are over 7 million people that um, are living with HIV and are on various stages of the program, whereas with um, within the public, uh, within the private sector, it's more like 500,000 people living with HIV. So the private sector historically is a very good um, adherence rate and engagement rate because of the one-on-one relationship that that happens. The difficulty with the medical aids is is with medicines like uh, PrEP, the pre-exposure prophylaxis. They don't pay everyone. Uh, More and more they're paying for young women because they're such a high-risk group, but they they typically pay for discordant couples. So one partner is HIV-positive and the other is HIV-negative. They don't pay for everyone. Don't pay if you're a housewife or an employed person, um, and they should. And so the more and more people that go on to PrEP, the more and more people that put pressure on them to change their, um, what they, to change the limits of, of what they, of what they cover. Um, one of the biggest medical aids is supporting the pharmacy program and paying the pharmacy consult, nurse consult, um, as well as the GP consult, um, and starting to look at the cheaper options for, for PrEP um, so that they can look at prescribe and at covering the prescription also. Okay. Um, yeah, because I mean, obviously you don't want it to be a reason why people don't don't get their drugs. And does it, is uh, every member of the public uh, given free access to HIV treatment in South Africa? Um, every South African is given free access to treatment. Um, you should be able to get it if you are living and working in this country, but you don't always. Um, you do often need to prove that you are a South African citizen to to get it. But anyone can can then access that for free within the pharmacy system. If you don't have a ID number, but you have a passport number, uh, perhaps not a South African citizen, but you might be a permanent resident, um, something similar, you can also you can also get onto using your number or asylum seeker number. Okay, and they were, I'm sure um, that's often probably a, a big, uh, uh, what's the word, a, a deterrence of people who are here illegally in South Africa and um, they are exposed to the virus or spreading the virus and uh, they can't access 
treatment. So, I mean, are there any clinics that no questions are, uh, that are no questions answered come in and get your treatment, and that are not asked about your legality? Do those exist? Uh, not really, not really, which is why the pharmacy becomes the, the option because clinics, um, hospitals, all kinds of healthcare facilities really do need your, your details partly so that they can track you. You know, at this point, there isn't a unique identifier that is used even in the private sector where um, it might be based on your medical aid number, which could be a private, which could be a unique identifier, but isn't based on your ID. So if you change medical aids, for example, your previous details can be lost um, in the system. So, so that there is, it is a transfer between, and that is another thing that we're trying to do with this in-pharmacy program, is, is make it as convenient for people as possible. So if it's affordable, if it's available, even evenings, weekends, um, after hours, you can go one month to this pharmacy, then you could be in a different province and go to a different um, store, a different chain, and still be picked up on the, on the system because of the unique identifier. Okay, so uh, uh, yeah, that would be, I mean, get an awesome way to get them that distribute to them far and widely and to places where people don't um, have access or are scared to uh, go to specific HIV clinics. I remember in my internship, you know, there's a big sign saying like HIV clinic and then there's a long, long queue, out, <laughs> queue outside and uh, people often don't want to go because they don't want to sit in a queue or be associated um, with the clinic. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, I mean, it isn't, you know, HIV treatment is an essential treatment. It's considered essential. So according to the international laws, um, you should be able to access your treatment. Um, it just isn't as easy as, as that. Okay, we're going to take our final ad break and we'll sum up after. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Disco Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dean Gerson, and we are speaking to Lauren Jackalovitz, who is CEO of the SAHIV Clinicians Society, and uh, speaking about stigma in HIV. What programs do you have as a society um, in government and private, um, in print or in TV, uh, to decrease the stigma and to encourage people to test and to reduce the stigma. So so really what we do is we do more of the development of guidelines and material for the healthcare worker so that if the healthcare worker yeah. is raising the topic of conversation, is not frightened to talk about it and feels that they are armed with the latest information and the latest evidence, we believe that ultimately people will receive the quality care that they should be receiving and um, that this will then reduce stigma. With regard to the in-pharmacy program, the idea really is about access, which is also the reduction of stigma. If you can go, if you can get it anywhere at almost any time, at pretty much any pharmacy at an affordable price, then more and more people will Confidence 
um, taking it. There are also a range of other uh, small programs that are being rolled out, like full boxes, don't rattle, because apparently for young women, this is an issue that uh, will assume you on some kind of HIV treatment if you have a pull box uh, that they can hear rattling from your bag. So now you can get pull boxes that don't rattle. Um, the campaigns for young women in particular are very street-wise and um, sexy, if I, can, if I can put it that way, so in order to attract young women. Um, with regards to men as a as a target, just because men often don't access care, you know the the partners take the children to the clinic or to see the doctor, etc. And men are are not accessing care as frequently. Um, so for men, there's a specific campaign targeting men also, and um, different kinds of men or men that would fall into different categories so that they, they can also feel comfortable to access uh, the information as a, as a starting point and the self-screening as a starting point and then enroll in a system, be it in the private or the public sector. Okay. So where, where would people in, uh, access information on testing and treatment? On all the different pharmacies and uh, how they could how they could go about seeking advice. So, so a way, yeah, a way to do that would to access um, our website, which is www.sahivsoc.org, um, and that will take you through to the specific websites and. Facebook pages and groups, etc., uh, where you can access more information about any of the programs that I've spoken about. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Lauren Jankalavis from the, the CEO of the SAHIV Clinician Society. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the information. Thank you for the work you do. And uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us. We will be back next week, same time. 10 a.m. Discam Medical Mono 101.9 High FM. Stay safe and have a good week.